This morning the question came up about trust and how perhaps the practice can be seen as ever expanding circles of trust or widening spheres of trust. And that was precisely the topic that I had in mind for my talk this evening. So that is what we will explore together. Fairly early in my practice with, um, at that time, my teacher, Gil Fronstall, now my colleague, um, he said, he said something about trust and the trustability of practice that kind of has been an exploration. And this ended up in his book, So I'll quote it from his book. The present moment is trustable if we are present for it. And for me, early on in my practice, this wasn't so intuitive. And certainly for many of us at various times in our practice, The present moment doesn't feel terribly trustable. You know, if we're caught in anger, caught in confusion, it doesn't feel very trustable. And yet the full quote says, the present moment is trustable if we are present for it. And so exploring that, what we do begin to see is that if some kind of reactivity is arising in the mind, if we bring wise mindfulness to it, if we bring this mindfulness and wisdom, this pairing, satipanya, to the present moment, to whatever is arising in the present moment, then the experience is trustable through the mindfulness. It's the, it's the wise mindfulness, it's the mindfulness and wisdom that carry the trust. And yet this is an evolution in our practice. It's, it's an evolving understanding, and not necessarily in a, a linear way. You know, Philip was talking the other night about practice unfolding kind of in uneven ways. Sometimes we gain some wisdom in one area and not in another. It's kind of similar around trust. There are ways that we learn to trust some aspects of our practice at certain times. And then at other times we have to begin to discern when is the mind not so trustable? So exploring this evolution of trust, I I like the, the sense of a deepening trust, that the trust gets more and more rooted in us. There's a teaching uh, the Buddha offers 
where trust, the Pali term that I'm using uh, to translate as trust is sada, sometimes translated as faith, confidence, or trust. And it's at the very beginning of a list called the five faculties, five qualities of mind that in a sense describe the evolution of our practice, kind of the arc of our practice. And yet to me it's more of a spiral than an arc. And these five qualities are faith. It starts with faith. In some ways, the very way we step onto the path begins with some kind of faith or confidence or trust in something that we've heard, a teaching that we've heard, some, some wisdom that we've heard. And we hear that, some part of it resonates with us, and that inspires us to cultivate a kind of a, it inspires us to engage, basically. It inspires us to engage in what we've learned. And this is the second of the five faculties, energy. And so a sense of confidence in some aspect of the teaching inspires an energy to engage with these teachings. And that leads to the cultivation of mindfulness, which is crucial in the, uh, in the wisdom. You know, the, the wisdom teachings of the Buddha really are framed around understanding our experience through mindfulness. And so the engagement is towards mindfulness. We engage with becoming aware of what's happening in the present moment. And as we do that, that's the third of the five faculties, faith, energy, mindfulness. And energy and mindfulness together with a sense of direction to the practice lead to the fourth of the five faculties, a stability of mind, concentration. And with that stability of the mind, again, from the perspective of the exploration that we started with, you know, that we had to start from somewhere, hearing some kind of the teaching, some kind of teaching, some, some basic turn towards your experience and see what it is like to be a human being having that experience. Maybe a very basic way to frame some of the basic wisdom of the Buddha. As we explore faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, then the wisdom, the fifth faculty, begins to arise not as an idea, not something that somebody has said to us, but as direct experience. We start to really get it. Oh, I see why it's useful to do this. I see why it's helpful to turn and watch anger, watch confusion, rather than just being lost in the story of it. We directly experience some sense of release or freedom around that state, even if it's even as it's continuing to arise. This is some of the wisdom that I spoke about a few a few a few talks ago. And so we'd begin to directly experience the wisdom. 
And this supports our sense of trust in the practice. It encourages us to engage more, which leads to more energy, more directing the mind towards mindfulness, concentration, and more wisdom. And so these kind of deepen in a spiral that we begin somewhere. We have to begin basically from just hearing the teachings. And yet, as we engage, which is, this is so crucial to our practice here, the engagement. Faith is what kind of begins to inspire the engagement. Faith has a step onto the path, a sense of trust that, well, maybe this will be useful. And so this is a kind of a, a description of how our practice evolves through these five faculties. Faith being kind of the, the seed. from which the practice really flowers. And so it can be helpful perhaps to explore a little bit, reflect a little bit on this quality of trust or faith or confidence. I know for myself that the word faith was not so evocative for me. The word faith was, was connected with, in my upbringing, it was connected with believing in something that was not possible to know. And, and I just, that just didn't really work for me. And so the word faith has been something I've had to play with for a while. And the word trust for me is a little more evocative. What is it that we trust? In our usual lives, you know, what is it that we trust? We trust so many things that are not so reliable. We place our trust on having things. That's what will make me happy. That's what will be reliable if I have things, if I've accumulated things, if I can arrange my world to be filled with the things that I want, if I can arrange my world to not have things in it that I don't want. That's what will be reliable. That's not such a helpful place to really place our trust. As we see here how unreliable things are, We place our trust on being someone, having things, having people have opinions about us. We we try to live our lives such that people will think a certain way about us. And we've seen our own minds. How reliable is it for somebody to have a certain opinion about you? You It's not, not very reliable. And so what is it that we place our trust in? You know, sometimes we place our trust in, in, in our emotions. Not, not that we'd necessarily, like, consciously do that, but in effect, you know, as we are living our lives and perhaps 
you know, lost in a reactive emotion. When we're acting out of that reactive emotion, some part of us has placed trust in the beliefs of that emotion, that acting out on this is what is going to bring happiness in some form or other. It's quite humbling to see what we place our trust in, how unreliable it actually is. And so the exploration of trust in the practice is beginning, looking for perhaps a place that might be a little more trustworthy. This takes some honesty in our own exploration of where we place our trust to begin to recognize that the usual ways we have approached finding trust, placing our trust in the world are not reliable. And so the practice, you know, in my own experience, you know, I was in such a state of dukkha, of suffering. And at some point, someone sent me a book that taught me, gave me some orientation around the teachings. And this was my first kind of real opening to the Buddha's teaching, even though I had read some of the Buddha's words 15 years earlier. It's interesting, I think, how the conditions of suffering, at least in some of us, the conditions of suffering are really needed to be able to hear the hard medicine of the Buddha that placing our trust in things of the world is not reliable, and that turning to experience, cultivating mindfulness with a perspective of, what's this? With the perspective that stress and suffering are not inherent in what we're experiencing, but the the reactivity of the mind is what creates most of our suffering. There's, there is going to be, of course, unpleasant phenomenon in the world. And yet this, you know, the, the way that we've been engaging so much before we really step into the practice is the adjustment, trying to adjust the world for our own minds to be at ease. And thank goodness that's not required to have the heart really at peace. And yet, as we've said over and over again, that heart at peace doesn't mean that we don't then, you know, step into action in the world to address injustice, to address things that cause suffering in the world. In fact, that very opening of the heart leads us to want to act to alleviate suffering in the world. And yet this medicine of turning towards our own heart, seeing where we are clinging, where we are struggling, we have to hear this teaching. And sometimes we have to be suffering in order to hear it. That was the case for me, at least. 
I had read the teachings of the Buddha 15 years earlier and thought, oh, that's a good idea, I'll try that. And just never really landed. And then when I was really struggling, when I felt like, as it says in the suttas sometimes, does anyone know a way or two out of this suffering? When at that point you hear something that points you in the direction of freedom, you might be willing to actually engage with it. And so that's a kind of a beginning level of trust in a way, that we hear the teachings. And whether or not they make sense to us, whether or not it makes sense to think about, you know, paying attention to anger, bringing attention to anger, or bringing attention to reactivity, whether or not that makes sense, perhaps we're willing to try. We're willing to run the experiment, willing to engage. And that is really, you know, kind of the the place where trust begins. You know, all of you here on this retreat, I would say, are well beyond this level of trust. You would not come on a month or two month retreat without this sense of willing to engage. And so there it is. There is some sense of trust in the practice. And yet, there are times when we forget. You know, we forget about, why am I doing this? You know, (laughs) breathing in, breathing out. What does that have to do with anything? We forget. And then we remember. And we forget and we remember. And so even this level of trust, it's not, it's not so even sometimes. You know, we have to remind ourselves, right, this is, this is the value. This is the purpose of the practice. So something calls us to engage. Something calls us to explore. To try to put these teachings into practice. And this is where the next kind of level or unfolding of trust begins to happen. We start to engage. We begin to see little moments of wisdom arising. Like I described a few, a week or so ago. The, the seeing of how the turning towards experience with mindfulness, a reactive experience, leads to a sense of, oh, this is just frustration. I can watch this. And what a difference in experience between being caught by frustration and knowing it. Or we see the arising of a pattern. We see a conditioned pattern arising. A habitual Pattern and just the seeing it start to get put together, the mind understands that way lies suffering and it lets it go. So we see directly, very experientially, the value of what we've been engaged in. The wisdom starts to grow. And this, this back and forth, actually, I see this deepening of trust or this ever-expanding trust as 
kind of a flow between wisdom and trust, wisdom and trust, wisdom and trust. That as trust deepens, wisdom can deepen, and then trust can deepen and wisdom can deepen. So the the direct experience of understanding the value of this practice begins to deepen the wisdom which inspires trust. We have a direct recognition of, oh, it's not just words. It's not just a good idea. It's actually useful. It's actually helpful. So at this point, trust can become less about a sense of um, a leap of faith. And, and there, is, there are times in this practice when I think faith is an appropriate word for this quality of trust. Especially early on at the beginning of the practice, there's a sense of not sure how this is going to work or why this is valuable. But you know, we've heard somebody that we respect say, yeah, this has been really helpful to me. Or we see in a teacher something that they say, you know, this has been, this transformation in this being has come from this practice. And so we think, well, there's some examples out there. Maybe that's, maybe that's worth trying. And so at first it is kind of a sense of borrowing the faith of others. You know, borrowing the sense that from my, my friend who, you know, sent me that book in the first place, you know, she said, this has been really helpful to me. Try it. It'll help. It's like, okay, I don't know, but she said it worked. <laughs> so just kind of borrowing that trust. And yet it doesn't take very long once we actually turn to engage before there's a sense of understanding directly how it's useful, how it's helpful. And so trust begins to be more, in our own system, we understand, we trust our own experience. We're no longer having to borrow from somebody else, no longer having to borrow the trust from somebody else. And yet, you know, that deepening of trust, that, that un- unfolding of wisdom, as I talked about in, in the talk on wisdom, how those wisdoms come and go. Wisdom, delusion returns. We have a deepening of trust, and then suddenly it's like, what? Did I really experience that? Did it? I must not have experienced that. I must be fooling myself. At that point, we may, need to, we may need to kind of draw not only on the trust of our, from our friends and our teachers, but we can begin to draw, we can begin to, to recognize coming in and out of that uh, wisdom delusion cycle. When we've seen that wisdom delusion cycle happen multiple times, we begin to recognize, oh yeah, wisdom comes and goes. And so when delusion has come back, we can borrow trust from ourselves. You know, we, we can remind ourselves, yes, I know this is, this is being caught by a reactive emotion right now. That's what's happening. It's impermanent. 
It's unreliable. It's not, it's not, it's causes and conditions. It's not forever. So we begin to recognize the coming and goings and can draw on our own experiences that we've had of trust to help us continue the practice. So in a way, over time, the trust and the practice shifts from trusting what others say to trusting our own sense of capacity to engage to trusting wisdom. You know, kind of a, a letting go of even identity in the trust. We begin to trust wisdom itself. There's some edges to the trust. Some of my own edges I'll explore with you. You may have different edges of trust, but I have found that there are some places or times where it's like, I've trusted this far, but I don't know if I can go any further. Or there are places at the, at the kind of edges of our practice where it's like, can I really... Can, Is that really practice? And so as we, as the mindfulness starts to get more continuous, as there's a steadiness and a kind of a sense of capacity, perhaps, for the practice itself. We learn, I can sit. I can pay attention to my breath. And we start to trust some of our own capacity for practice. And yet at some point, we even have to let go of that. That we have to, in a way, shift. There's an edge around practice where there's a shift from the engaging with the practice, the doing, the uh, kind of picking up practices to create state of concentration or have a sense of this kind of experience is heading me in the direction of, of wisdom. I mean, this is, this is very, it's very familiar to us in a way that we engage with the teachings, we begin to see things in a certain way. Certain clarity of mindfulness helps us to see patterns clearly. We see how things are constructed, conditioned. We may start to recognize kind of a very clear unfolding of experience. And we think that's... That's what the practice is. That's what's trustable. And that is trustable, but it's not the only way 
And sometimes we have to let go of what we know we trust in order to expand and open into new terrain, open to the not known, open to what's unfamiliar. And so we start here by beginning to explore what it means to trust just what is arising right now, just this moment, not needing to or not trying to necessarily do the practice, but it's a shift more towards the being, just knowing what's here right now. We begin to trust the wisdom to know experience rather than feeling like I have to do it. Again, this is a kind of a a weakening of the sense of self around the practitioner, a trust that the wisdom and the mindfulness know their way This is not an easy edge of trust. And it's, it can be kind of ragged at that edge, where we may at times be able to let go of the doing and simply witness, simply know, you know, any experience. It doesn't matter what's happening. It absolutely does not matter what the experience is. Mindfulness and wisdom can know it. Dharma understanding, Dharma wisdom can arise with any experience, any time. It's not just about sitting in silence on the cushion with our eyes closed even. Dharma wisdom can arise while cutting an apple, while flushing the toilet, while sitting down. This trust of Dharma wisdom being available at any moment supports us to this engagement all the time. I think Greg the other day mentioned this poem of one of the nuns, the Terigata. It's a beautiful poem. This, uh, I'll remind you, it's a, it's a beautiful image. This nun is sitting on a hillside looking out over the fields. She's sitting in her, near her kuti and she's looking out over the fields where their farmers plowing, doing their work. And it raises a reflection in her mind. She said, just like the farmers work in their fields, I have been working for years on this practice Why am I not free? What am I doing wrong? I've been following the Buddhist teachings and I'm not free. And then she remembers that it's not about thinking about it, but just about the experience in any moment. She washes her feet. 
the water runs down the hill and she watches the water run down the hill. She gets up, aware of getting up, walks to her room, aware, aware she sits down on the bed, aware she takes a pin and pushes the wick in the lamp down. As the light goes out, her mind is freed. Any moment, it's possible. We have no idea when that will happen. And yet, we have to be available, present for it to happen. So that's an edge of trust for us, beginning to kind of let go of some level of control over the doing of the practice and open to just what's here. Another edge of trust that as our practice gets more continuous, as the mindfulness gets more continuous, sometimes it can start to show us actually more gaps in the mindfulness. Like Sometimes people describe, after being on retreat for a few weeks on these long retreats, I'm way less mindful than I was when I got here. (laughs) And it's probably more likely that what's happening is that you're more aware of when the mindfulness slips out. And this kind of the slipping out of mindfulness as mindfulness gets more continuous, this this can be an edge for us. We can doubt. We doubt ourselves. We feel like we need to double down. You know, it's like, that's our usual response when we see the mindfulness, like, I must not be trying hard enough. You know, double down, make sure I stay continuously mindful. And that can be helpful at times. I'm not saying that's not, that's never a, a, a good idea. It can be helpful at times. And yet, there are times when doubling down, essentially that kind of, you know, bringing up the effort in order to do the practice. Sometimes the... I talked about these different, you know, the level of mindfulness and, and seeing certain experiences at, the, at the, a couple of talks ago and how sometimes as mindfulness gets stronger, it's like mindfulness is searching out subtler experience or new experience or unfamiliar experience and that's where mindfulness can slip out. If we double down at that point, that kind of added energy or effort to the practice actually is more, it's a grosser experience. It's like it gets in the way of seeing where the mindfulness is trying to go. And so this is a place of trust. 
You know, that it's not about trying to stay mindful, but rather here, instead of bringing the effort up, the bringing the interest up. Where does the mind go as it slips out? Where does it go? If we can be interested there, instead of just trying to hang on to mindfulness with what we're used to being mindful of, then it's possible that we might be able to open into something new and unfamiliar that we've not seen before. And so that takes some trust, the willingness to let the mind slip out and just keep trying, keep, oh, there it goes again. Can I be curious about that? And that may lead to being able to open into these perhaps new, new experiences, unfamiliar experiences, maybe even things that we wouldn't even think were related to being mindful. So often we have this idea, as I just said, about mindfulness looking a certain way. More and more clarity. That's what more and more mindfulness would look like, we think. More sharpness, more preciseness, more... just bits of seeing very clear pieces of experience. And in so many ways, the, the deepening of the practice often happens through experiences we're completely unfamiliar with. They may be vague experiences, they may be diffuse experiences, and not this clear, precise kind of thing. And so learning to trust, again, we begin to trust, am I aware? and not judge or decide the quality of our awareness based on what is known, on what the experience is. Aware. Aware and have no idea what I'm aware of. You're aware. That's enough. Aware and not, not knowing. This, this movement towards not knowing, I think, is a direction of the deepening of the practice and the deepening of trust. It's hard to trust letting go into not knowing, into unfamiliarity, into vagueness, into we don't know what. And so this is an edge of trust for us. We cling to anything that feels familiar. We cling because we can't fathom what it is we're letting go into. And yet that is a direction that this practice is asking of us. We have no 
idea, the depth of letting go that has to happen. We don't know what that letting go, what's on the other side of that letting go. And yet we slowly learn to trust, at least in, in, in my own experience, slowly learn to trust this experience of release. Feeling the unconstricted heart that follows from release. We slowly begin to trust that. So we, over time, begin to trust this right mindfulness. Trust mindfulness and wisdom. Begin to recognize when they're present, when they're not present. We begin to recognize when the mind is actually trustable, when mindfulness and wisdom are present, the mind is trustable. Nothing to fear of anything that arises. It's a great experience of safety. That place of having mindfulness and wisdom so established there's just no fear. Anything can arise and it's known. And yet... This seeing of when the mind is trustable, when mindfulness and wisdom are present, also comes with recognizing when mindfulness and wisdom are not present. So we begin to discern, we begin to discern when it may be appropriate to step back to kind of other levels of trust. To to step back to, okay, yep, this mind is not capable in this moment of just being with, just watching the arising of this habitual pattern. Like that habitual pattern is taking me down the rabbit hole. That the capacity of mindfulness and wisdom in this moment is not able to just watch it and be trustable. And so we, dis- we need to discern that. We need to discern when it's time to, ooh, okay, step aside, maybe turn our attention away from a, a particularly tangled pattern, or just bring in, you know, draw on some of those borrowed wisdoms from ourselves. Right, this is impermanent. This is not, not self. And can I just know this as best I can? So again, it's not this it's not this continual like ever deepening one direction movement in the direction of trust. Trust, wisdom, mindfulness, all they have waves to them. And we need to learn to ride those waves.
in the deepest letting go. And we really just, it's such a stepping into not knowing. If we really start to look at our experience, we recognize we have no idea what's going to happen next. The next split second is unknown. And this is an edge of trust for us too. It can create a sense of fear when we recognize that. It feels like we are standing on the edge of an abyss and we're asked to step into the abyss. It's that level of not knowing in the next moment. So that can be hard to trust that, hard to live in that space. And yet what we see is that as we step into the abyss, trusting that step into the abyss, we land at the edge of the abyss, having to take the next step into the abyss. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.